0: Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come, Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint seeking to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come, Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that you will allow me to join in your gospel dialogue. With that introduction, let's start this Family Room Discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode forty-six, following along with when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience. Doctrine and Covenants sections one twenty-nine to one twenty to one thirty-two. Um, last week I forgot to mention one thing when I had David as my special guest. Uh, it was at the very end. What I wanted to finish with, conclude with, was from section one twenty-eight, verses twenty to twenty-four. Now I'm not going to cover it now that was from last week, so uh, we're not going to rehash it. But if uh, if you would like, I would recommend going back and rereading 128, 20 to 24, one more time. It is one of the most powerful and hopeful messages that I feel like Joseph Smith ever gave. Uh, one of the lines from that that I really love is, Brethren, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on, on to the victory. He goes on, uh, but it has it has lessons for us about um, our past, our present, and our future, talking about the millennium, how we're preparing, and the work that we're engaged in how we should feel about it, and uh, how we can have faith and hope through our challenges to be able to be ready to meet Christ. So, wish I would have covered it last week, kind of kind of forgot, a lot, ran out of time, um, but I wanted to share that now so that I could feel like uh, at least that I was able to share. So, truth be told, this lesson that we're going to talk about today has my favorite section in Doctrine and Covenants, section 130. That is my favorite section in all of Doctrine and Covenants. Um, And I I also feel like 129 to 132 is really perfect because it's all just incredible teaching, incredible truth. Uh, But 130 is my favorite, and it's been that way for a while. The reason being that, first, the way it's written is perfect for the way that I think. That's literally how my brain works is like this kind of question and answer, but also jumping around, um, kind of getting to what I want to talk about or think about, which makes sense because that's how my podcast really is. And that's just how my mind works. So 130 is perfect for me. The other thing is that I feel like the truths within it are um bedrocks for my testimony. It's things that get me most passionate and excited about the gospel and living it. And um we'll we'll talk about it. But But yes, I've been most excited this entire year. I've just been looking to the point where we get to talk about section 130. So there's a lot I want to cover today. Uh, So very little time. So let's get into it. Brigham Young once said of Joseph Smith, he could reduce heavenly things to the understanding of the finite. This is the mark of a great teacher. Sorry, I'm breaking real quick for this thought, which is that to me is the mark of an excellent teacher. Um, Often, I think that people think that those who can talk really flowery and... Um, be able to sound eloquent are great teachers, and, and I disagree. I think being able to take a difficult concept and be able to break it down so that anyone can understand it, that's an excellent teacher. And Joseph Smith was that. This seems especially true of the prophet's teachings in Nauvoo in the 1840s, some of which are recorded in Doctrine and Covenants, sections 129-32. to 32. What is the Savior like? He is a man like ourselves. What is heaven like? That same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there. And our most cherished family relationships in this world, if sealed by the proper authority, shall be of full force in the next world. Truths like these can make heaven feel less distant, glorious, yet reachable. But then sometimes God may ask us to do things that are so uncomfortable that they do seem unreachable. For many early saints, plural marriage was one such commandment, which we're going to talk about that today, obviously. Um, But I... The reason that's, uh, that in particular is close to my heart is I have had friends who have left the church um, have kind of rejected their testimonies because of plural marriage, which obviously we do not practice today. And yet just the fact that our church ever practiced it was too much for them, which to me is heartbreaking uh, because I feel like they did not dig in to, to find the truth. Uh, the commandment to marry additional wives was a severe trial of faith for Joseph Smith, his wife Emma, and almost everyone who received it. To make it through this trial, they needed more than just favorable feelings about the restored gospel. They needed faith in God that went far deeper than any personal desires or biases. And I want to stop right there to qualify the statement that I just made about not seeking uh, further for for answers because I think, on one hand, the critical response to what I have said could be, no, they did, Dalton. They did, in fact, look and... uh, because of their searchings and their findings, it did convince them. I disagree. I think that, um, and obviously that's my opinion, but I think when we humble ourselves and come before God, this is the point. This what what I just read about, uh, that they needed more than just favor- favorable feelings. How, how many of us just have favorable feelings of the church uh, because we've been members for so long or because we, we kind of like, but we've never fully decided to dive in and say, okay, uh, this isn't just about what church I belong to. This is about being a disciple of Christ. I commit full, full hearted. Uh, I give myself to God. Um, whatever he commands of me, I will do. I will be obedient to the fullest, except how many of us do that and meet that mark. Um, I've talked about this before. I love Abraham as this example. It's, it's a classic example, but also it's just a really great illustration. He, uh, was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac and, and then he did it to the fullest extent. Truman Madsen talks about how that experience of Abraham not only proved to God that Abraham was faithful, but it proved to Abraham that Abraham was faithful. And that is the experiences that God is trying to help all of us if we are willing to go through them to get to. I believe that uh, plural marriage is one of those commandments that was to try the saints fully, especially those who were asked to live it, um, because it wasn't necessarily everybody. There were but there were many who were asked to live it of the saints, I believe from, from from what I believe. That was there. Will you follow me through everything? Um, so continuing on. The commandment no longer stands today, but the faithful example of those who lived it still does. And that example inspires us when we are asked to make our own sacrifices in obedience. Uh, obedience, I think, is the mark of this lesson. That's really, I think, what what I picked from the most. Um but also, this could be the most ADD podcast I've ever done. I think there was a couple weeks ago, I said there was one that would be similar. This one, however, I b- believe will take the cake. Uh, but in fairness, that's kind of how it was written. So, let's get into it. In the first section, Joseph Smith revealed truths about the Godhead and the world to come. Uh, you might notice that sections 130 to 132, 131 read a little differently than other sections in the Doctrine and Covenants. This is because... These sections are based on notes that William Clayton, one of Joseph Smith's secretaries, kept of things he heard the prophet teach. As a result, these sections are more like collections of truth rather than cohesive, dictated revelations. Even so, there are some common themes among many of these truths. For example, you might read section 130 and 131 with questions like these in mind. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about the life after mortality? How does this knowledge affect my life? Now, again, like I said, the reason I love these so much is because it is like a collection of truth. That's how I personally like to learn is um, I like to be able to get straight to the, these are the things missing from what I know rather than let's go over over everything again and, and I'll pick it out. Um, so this this is exactly, I, I mean, this is self-serving, but if you were ever curious, how does Dalton's mind work? It's exactly like this. This is how my brain works is I want to get to exactly what it is i don't know it also is one of the things that i have to be careful about in my relationships because when i ask a question uh to someone it's it's often i've been told that my questions come off really intense and it's because i want to know exactly what it is i'm asking so for instance like what do you like to do uh i really want to know what it is you like to do it's not this like oh well i like a little of this a little that it's like no no tell me exactly what it is you like to do and then based off that i always have uh, follow-up follow-up questions And Lex always tells me, she's like, Dalton, sometimes you come off really strong and it feels like you're like interrogating people. Uh, To which I have over time had to work on and and learn not to do because it does make people feel uncomfortable. But again, I'm not kidding. This is exactly how my brain works, which is like, I, I have something I don't know. It's the very thing I want to know. It's not for some like, you know, deeper reason other than because I'm curious and would like to know. So with that... These are the verses that stuck out to me, and there are a lot. First, section 130, verse 2. And that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. So for me, what I learned from that is that the life that we're living right now is a pattern. If we are curious about the world after this, all we need to do is to look at the life that we have now, the things that we're learning about, the way we should be living, all those things— And that is a pattern for us. It won't be exactly the same, but very similar. So when we enjoy getting together as families, we're going to enjoy getting together as a family on the other side. Speaking of the same sociality, right, that will exist among us there, you have friends here, you'll still be friends on the other side. The work that we're putting in now is not just for for nothing. We are building our relationships to be able to have eternal relationships. Uh, The ones that you prioritize here are the ones you'll prioritize on the other side and so on and so forth. Uh, To me, that answers a ton of questions about what happens in heaven, and, uh, you know, why are we fighting for eternity? Why are we trying to make it? All these things. It answers a ton for me, uh, especially one question, which is, you know, we we talk about how we can't even imagine living an eternal life, this life that goes on and on. But um, I feel like when I think about it and I'm like, yeah, I just get bored. I'm still not bored and I've been on this earth for 28 years and I feel like there's so much I have to do. And I know talking to those of senior in my family, that they feel the same, that they have so much they want to learn and do. So in that sense, true, I still can't fathom any living for eternity, but I can fathom living for an extremely long time because there's so much to learn and do and experience that can't be done in just the mortal lifetime. Uh, the next verse, verse three, it says, John 14, 23, the appearing of the father and the son in that verse is a personal appearance. And the idea that the father and the son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. That is truth revealed and restored. How many religions misunderstand this scripture from John fourteen twenty three? So many. And I love that. It's just very clear. It's this, this whole like the belief that the Father and the Son dwell in a heart, it's that's false. That's just this old belief came from false doctrine. It's not true at all. Uh and then later I I believe there is a verse that I that I read what we're gonna talk about, but talks about the, the mission of the Holy Ghost, and that's where this comes from. The Holy Ghost is able to dwell within us because he's a spirit. Uh but the Father and Son, the Son cannot. They have bodies, so they cannot. Uh, And then in verse 5, I answer yes. This is to the question um, about time in in verse 4. The question is, is time accounted to the the sphere in which someone's in? The answer is yes. But there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who do belong or have belonged to it. And to me, that follows along with the principles of stewardship. So what I learned from that is that any angel that uh, ministers to us on this earth did not come from a different earth It's not like that. It's the ones that minister here are from this earth or lived here or will live here. And again, to me falls along with the principles of stewardship uh, that it it just would not make sense that someone not of this earth would have a care for this earth type of thing. Verse 13, it may probably arise to the slave question. This talk about the, uh, the war, the civil war. It may probably arise to the slave question. This is, This a voice declared to me while I was praying earnestly on the subject, December 25th, 1832. I just wanted to cross-reference that, and I marked this in my own scriptures, but this was revealed in section 87, which, again, was true because the Civil War was fought over slavery, amongst other things, but also uh, slavery. I did have a history teacher in high school that said it had nothing to do with slavery, but that just kind of was what happened later, like it got brought in. And, I mean, technically, Joseph Smith isn't saying... It will arise from the slave question. He talks about it may probably arise from the slave question. But I will point out uh, that I was doing a little bit of research, and we we will talk about this later um, down the road once we get to kind of the the right time period of it. But Joseph Smith did run for president of the United States, and on his platform was getting rid of slavery. And uh, that did get taken up by others running as well. And so I just think that's interesting. That uh, well, there's a lot I find interesting about that actually, actually. But again, we'll talk about that later. I'm putting a pen in it right now. Verses eighteen to nineteen, Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Uh, this is one of the founding principles of my life. This is why I am so adamant on learning and reading and having experiences and, and all of that is because of this scripture, uh, this revelation. I want to be able to learn as much as I can, to know as much as I can, to have the advantages, not because I want advantages over other people. I want advantage for myself in the life to come Uh the fact that I know that what we learn and what we go through in this life is not just a waste of time, that it's that we should be the eat, drink, and be merry, but that it's actually no, everything we do now will affect us down the road. Uh, similar to as, you know, adults gain prefrontal cortexes and realize, oh, there are consequences to action. This is something that I learned early on uh, in my teenage years that has stuck with me and continues to stick with me that I I know that the actions we take in this life have consequences. And I want to make sure that I'm putting myself in the right space to be able to not only help others, but to help myself, especially the other in the, the life after this one, which is, you know, of eternal consequence. And so uh, the other thing, too, that we learn is, is privilege. Uh, this has been a talk, obviously, politically, especially in particular from last year. It continues to be something that gets brought up in, in politics and in the media and stuff like that. I think the real thing is how does God treat advantages and disadvantages of this life? And uh, partially through this, it's through our work. It's through our own. It's not about our starting point. This was also a talk and conference. Um, oh, gosh. I'll be looking it up while I talk about it because I just was listening to it this week. Um, actually, nope, we're going to stop it. I'm going to look it up right now. Elder Clark's G. Gilbert. See, I knew I would find it. Becoming more in Christ, the parable of the slope. If you remember from General Conference, he talked about it's not so much about our starting point, but about our slope, about our incline towards Christ, uh, which we know is true, true doctrine and true uh, truth, because President Nelson says, so he said, everything that would be said in conference would be pure doctrine, pure truth, pure, pure revelation. So we know that that's a true concept and we can apply it here as well in Doctrine and Covenants. God doesn't look so much as our starting point is what matters, or or what we have or don't have. He he looks at what are we doing with it. That's what's important. That's the key principle. I wish that everyone was able to understand this. Um, I feel like in my life I have been blessed tremendously uh, to use the the word of the world. I have been incredibly privileged in my life. Um, but if I did nothing with it, it will count. It'll it'll count against me when I leave from this life. If God were to come to me and say, like he did in the, in the parable of the talents, right? What have you done with what I've given you? And I say, well, I, you know, I dug it in the earth and I, I saved it for you. I can return exactly what you gave me. He will be disappointed in me. And I know that, and I feel that heavy responsibility and burden. And so that's why I want to do everything that I can to make my life worthy. And I feel like so many, especially those who are listening have the same privileges in their life. And so just know that, to quote Spider-Man, with great responsibility, or, yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. There we go. Uh, And and that's a true principle. So, uh, okay, moving on. 20 and 21. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. This truth is an uh, an important one which we can apply across the board. This is a principle that can be applied in everything in the gospel and in life. Uh, So first, I want to point out something that I feel like has been a misunderstanding. I got this because of Clayton Christensen. In the book, he wrote uh, The Power of the Everyday Missionary, which is a great book, highly recommended. Uh, Will be one of the best best reads you have this year or next year. But in it, he talks about how Uh, There can be confusion where a missionary can be incredibly obedient on their missions and then not have any baptisms and be frustrated and say, then why the heck did I serve a mission? Why was I obedient? But he said, that's not the point of obedience. He's like, because you will be blessed, just not with baptisms, Uh, because that's not the law associated with having baptisms. There's a different law, right? It's about, honestly, it's about work. It's about connection. It's about being able to relate to people. It's about helping to teach them and bring them in, but it's not necessarily about obedience. Some of the most, you know, disobedient missionaries are incredibly good missionaries when it comes to baptisms. Now, thankfully, that's not that's not the the end goal. That's not what it's about. Is just baptizing people. However, that is a principle and ordinance of the gospel, which is incredibly important. So, it's learning what whatever blessing you want. It's learning what laws are associated with it to be able to receive it. Too often I think we get confused because we do live these laws and then we think, why am I not blessed with X, Y, and Z? So instead of being frustrated, I would say, go back and learn the law further. This is what I do with myself and I have found far more blessings in learning and understanding when I've looked at it like that than just continually being frustrated saying, "I've," you know, because I have friends who say, I've lived all the commandments, I've done everything, and yet I'm still not, uh, I'm still not happy, right? Whether it's because they're not married, because they don't have the job they want, because they're not making the money they want, uh, because they're not, you know, living in the house or or whatever, whatever the blessings are that they desire in their life. And I always feel like I want to say this, but I, I you know, that wouldn't be being a very sympathetic or or kind friend, but to say that, uh, you know, point out to them. Well, I'm sorry, but I think you misunderstand the law because that's not what it's associated to. Uh, Lex and I have had this discussion as well. Sometimes we've been frustrated. We've had frustrations of why aren't we progressing as fast in certain things in our life as we'd like to? And I always go back to: Do we understand the law to help us understand how to receive the blessings? And typically, the answer is no, we do not. Or the answer is we do, but but we need to be patient because often. Living these laws takes time. It doesn't just, oh, you lived it today, therefore you get the blessing. It's It takes time and proving ourselves to be able to live it. This is, again, the gospel is not an event. It is a process. And God is trying to change us. So all I could say is just if you understand this, this will help you be able to achieve and receive the blessings that you desire most in your life. And I think it helps reduce frustrations which is important to having a happy life. And then verses 22 to 23, the father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. The son also, but the Holy ghost is not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit, were it not. So the Holy ghost could not dwell in us. A man may receive the Holy ghost and it may descend upon him and not tarry with him. One random side note on this. When I went to EFY, when I was 14, our group was given the scripture, this scripture, and, and our, like, team motto was as tangible as man. Super weird, and I, I don't know why it sticks with me to this day other than the fact that it was so weird, but I do remember that we had to do a uh, a drawing or whatever. We did Michael Jackson. I, I have no idea why. Uh, some of the girls in the group are the ones that drew it. Anyway, that's that's a random side note, but I always think as tangible as man's, and I'm like, ah, yes, EFY when I was 14. Uh, anyway, back to, back to the point on this. Um... This verse, these two verses cover the Holy Ghost and his mission, which I think are important because a lot of people misunderstand the Holy Ghost and his mission. Then in verse, uh, or excuse me, let's jump over to section 131 in verse six, it says it is not, it is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. And, uh, this truth is the one that causes me to have concern all the time when I, um, hear people bring up like, oh, well, I don't need to, to know or understand that right now. Um, I, I guess it just depends on, on what it is, what principle for me, I always, I worry because I do not want to be standing before God and say, well, I didn't get, I didn't, you know, make time to learn your, 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 gospel. I didn't make time to, to learn the stuff that you had revealed to prophets and apostles or, you know, things that were available to me. I just didn't make time for, for learning and understanding, um, my bad, because from verse six it makes it sounds like you know, well we can't be saved that way, so uh, just for me I guess my takeaway is that like because we can't be saved in ignorance it's best to not be ignorant. In uh, verse seven there is no such thing as an immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure, and we can only dis- and can only be discerned by pure eyes. Uh, I believe that purer in this sense, and and I'm sure it means more too, but I do believe it means being innocent, being clean, and having like a childlike nature as it's revealed in, uh, what is that, Mosiah? uh, By King Benjamin. Um, Was King Benjamin... Yeah, he was Mosiah. Yeah, I'm not wrong here. Okay. But I believe that's what it means. And um, Truman Madsen, Madsen talks about uh, how President Wilford Woodruff had this, you know, heaven-like ability to be able to to see through the veil and see on the other side, and I believe it's because he was a clean and pure person, but also because he had a childlike nature to him, um, even as a elderly man and prophet that he always was able to maintain that, and I, so I believe that's how he did it. I, I think, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is if that you wanted to be able to to see past the veil, then the way to do it, the way to obtain that spiritual gift is to become pure and innocent, um, obviously through the atonement. But the process is to become childlike where you do have this, um, uh, not a naiveness, obviously, but just a purity, just a, a pure soul. Because that's the only way I think you'll be able to, your eyes will be able to see the pure matter. Also, there's a lot of science like this, this affects science, when we think about this, the fact that um, that there is no such thing as immaterial matter—that all matter, all spirits, everything is made out of matter—even if it's so fine—this uh, actually, I was re- I'm reading a philosophy book right now, and I'm just finished reading about Aristotle, and he actually, well, in his kind of ponderings, in his research and stuff. He believed the same thing, actually, that there is no such thing as immaterial matter, that everything is made out of matter, and some matter is just too fine or too pure for us to be able to to witness or, or whatnot, but that, um, yeah, essentially the same thing, which, which I think is fascinating that, you know, he was without true religion, and yet was able to stumble upon that truth as well. So, kind of cool. All right. I feel like that answers the question from this section of like, you know, Joseph Smith revealed truth about the Godhead. And then what did I learn? Yeah, that was uh, similar in the same format that 130 and 131 were in. That's how I just was able to go through that. All right. In the second section, Heavenly Father made it possible for families to be eternal. One of the most comforting truths restored through the prophet Joseph Smith is that marriage and family relationships can last forever. I right, underlined can. I think that's important. They can last forever. Doesn't mean they will. Uh, it's on us to make sure they do. Through Joseph Smith, the Lord restored the, ordination, the ordinances and authority needed to make these relationships eternal. Think about the family relationships you have or hope to have in the future as you read Doctrine and Covenants, section 131 and 132. How do these verses affect the ways the way you think about these relationships? Sometimes, however, the principle of eternal families is not so comforting and may bring anxiety, even sadness, when our current family situation does not fit the celestial ideal. When President Henry B. Eyring worried about such a situation in his own family, he received his, this wise counsel from a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. You just live worthy of the celestial kingdom, and the family arrangements will be more wonderful than you can imagine. How might following this counsel bless you in your current family situation? Um, okay, I didn't think I was actually going to talk about it, but I am. I've decided I'm going to. So, before I get into any of the verses, I think it's important that I explain that, that I did not always come from a ideal family uh, scenario situation. For those who don't know my story that I was raised by a single mom for several years. Um, I am half adopted, half adopted by my stepdad who she, uh, remarried when I was 14. I, I, I feel like I've gone over this before actually on a podcast episode. Anyway, just in case, um, yeah, I was half adopted. Uh, well, I wasn't half adopted at 14. They, they married when they, when I was 14 and then I got adopted, I call it half adopted, I guess, you know, as someone pointed out to me the other day, you can't really be half adopted, but that's what I'm calling it. Anyway, my stepdad adopted me when I was 18 and I changed my my name uh, so I could be part of the Anderson family and um, be able to have the full kind of family, the nuclear family experience. Ashley was later adopted and um, and then when she got married changed her name, and, and so her name is now Ashley Anderson Hill, obviously taking Alex's uh, last name. I bring this up because... Um, I didn't... I don't... I, I didn't and I don't have... Well, I, I did not have the best relationship with my biological father, and I don't have any relationship now. That was by my choice. Um. I, I mean, in fact, I don't even know where he is, I bring this up to say, I understand the feelings of of having anxiety over who you're going to be sealed to and who you're going to be with in heaven. It was uh, something that brought me peace when I was younger and it just stuck with me, is that obviously heaven wouldn't be heaven if you had to be in uh, relationships that caused you a lot of pain or misery in this mortal life. Two truths then come from that. Number one, it is on us to be able to work on ourselves, and to make sure that we treat those closest to us, those in our family, who we want to have eternal families with, our spouse, our children, our parents, our siblings, treat them in a way that is that you know that they will want to be with us in an eternal family, uh, because just because you're sealed to someone. I believe, does not mean you are somehow locked in and forced to have to be with those people uh, in life. I know that because, obviously, I was, I was born in the covenant, and that all that is the reason it caused me great anxiety, was the fact that I would be forced to, uh, just because someone was my dad, meant that I had to be with them for eternity. That, through, through my own testimony, that is not the case. Uh, because then heaven would cease to be heaven. The other thing, right, so so the first thing is to treat everyone the way that um, they want you to be part of their family for eternity. You can't just say, oh, well, we're sealed, so you're stuck with me. That, I do not believe, is how God will operate in heaven. I don't think that's how it works. The other thing is that this should be, it's becoming on all of us as members of a family to have patience, patience, um, to have grace and mercy with those in our family and in our spheres, especially those that we're sealed to, uh, to recognize that the only way that we can be able to make eternal families that are patterned after the way God would have eternal families is that we need to live um, the gospel. And, And it takes work. I can tell you from multiple family experiences being married to Lex, and having our kids in um, my family with my parents and my siblings and having an in-law family and all the siblings, families are the greatest opportunity, the number one. It is the pattern God set up for us to be able to, to learn, to have conflict, um, to, to fight with one another, um, to to overcome our weaknesses, to have our weaknesses pointed out to us in abundant ways it's a pattern and we should be grateful for that pattern um i've always thought that it's it's uh families are the best because as many mistakes as we make they're the ones who are the most forgiving and allow us to be able to to continue trying without families i don't think we'd have that opportunity so um yeah, I I am incredibly grateful for the sealing covenant. I also have a testimony that it's not just because of who you're related to. Um or or you know, necessarily who you're sealed to. It's not like that just means well, if you're done and you're chained for eternity. That's how it goes. So, now you've had my thoughts. Let's get into the the scriptures about this. Uh you know, it's best to share the doctrine. So, one thirty-one verses one to four in the celestial glory there are three heavens or degrees and in order to obtain the highest a man uh, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage and if he does not he cannot obtain it he may enter into the other but that is the end of his kingdom he cannot have an increase uh, this is incredibly logical these four verses to me are incredibly logical how could you have increase um, if you don't have the possibility of posterity I I, I think that's just logical right so yes, you could still be in the celestial kingdom and not be married, but that is the end of your increase. You're done because the reason God is God is because Him and Heavenly Mother are able to create or, excuse me, organize life. And uh, that is that opens the possibility of eternity, meaning eternal posterity. Uh, So to me, that's just incredibly logical. I don't think that... uh... Yeah, I have no problems. Verse 7, And verily I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these, all covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and introduced, and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise of him who is anointed, both as well for time and for all eternity. And that too most holy by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power. And I've appointed unto my servant, Joseph to hold this power in the last days. And there is never, but one on the earth at a time of who on whom the power and the keys of the priesthood are conferred. This priesthood are conferred are of no efficacy, virtue or force in and after the resurrection from the dead for all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. Uh, I'm reitering that reiterating that extremely long verse because I have been at weddings, like civil civil ceremonies, where either the the husband and wife have said I, I will love you for time and all eternity, um, or the minister or whoever, uh, not of our faith, will say you know, not necessarily for time and all eternity, but. Uh, that you're, you know, may your love go even after death or whatever like that. That, that power, that ability, it, it has to be sealed. You, it, it's not just because, you know, I will love you forever and ever. Yeah. It's very clear that the sealing covenant is what makes sure that our, our love and our marriages are able to be eternal. Our families are able to be eternal. It is not just this, this fanciful fun idea It comes from God's power and it has to be done by God's anointed um, servant or like a sealer in the temple. And so um, for me, it's usually typically inactive or members who have left the church or whatever that that kind of I've seen this problem with who who don't understand it. And I, I get not understanding it, but just to be clear, it does have to be done by the sealing power, which is God's power cannot just be taken or stolen, and it's not this, well, because I love you, we'll be together forever. You have to follow God's laws on this one. verse 13, and every, or excuse me, now we're switching over, Uh, now I'm in section 132, but it's in 13, and everything that is in the world, whether it be ordained of men, by thrones, or principalities, or powers, or things of name, whatsoever they may be, that are not by me, or by my word, saith the Lord, shall be thrown down, and shall not remain after men are dead, neither in nor after the resurrection, saith the Lord your God. And uh, yeah, only that which is dedicated to Christ shall prolong. We can try and counterfeit it. The world can try and counterfeit it all they want. It has to be done by God's power. That is why it is so important. That is why everything is so important to be able to understand this and to live it. It's, (laughs) again, it's not just this, oh, but I like that idea. It's, it has to be done within God's power. Like he has the keys. Um, He's, or he's given at least the prophet the keys to be able to to have this power, um, to bind on earth and in heaven, verse sixty, Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Uh, God's law is clear. If you want an eternal marriage, it has to be done through His law. I've said this multiple times. I am going to continue reiterating it, though, because. Like, teach your children this. Like, everyone needs to understand that there is a law. And again, if you want the blessings, you have to follow the law that God has set. This isn't because he's trying to be this mean this mean God. It's because he loves us and he's trying to help us understand that this is the process. This is the pattern in which things need to be done And. Verse twenty. Then shall they be gods, because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be. Go- then shall be. Uh, shall they be gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them. It's interesting because this verse appears to define God, but not necessarily define angel. I guess angels defined in verse sixteen. But I just think it's interesting the the way that it defines it. Um. But those are the truths that I learned from from these sections and also just kind of my own emphasis on on it. But I do love... There was... This, uh, I don't know if you remember this or if you've seen it, but it was like one of the Joseph... The Joseph Smith videos that the church did, um, gosh, probably 15 years ago. 10, 15 years ago. Maybe even longer. Um, anyway, it, it was this beautiful video. I think they showed it at Temple Square for a while and um it was the actor who plays joseph is the same one who plays peter in the new testament videos um well, anyway that was the joseph smith, and there's this whole there's a scene if you remember the scene you'll know what i'm talking about that there's a convert from i want to say ireland or scotland or something he plays the bagpipes and he sees joseph smith like beating a rug outside and he comes up to him and he's like what are you doing you know a, a a prophet like yourself shouldn't be doing the, the manual labors. That should be Emma who's doing that. And Joseph gives like kind of smiles and he's like, um, you know uh, something about you love your wife, right? And you want her to, to love you forever. Why would she want to stay married to you after this life if you don't put in the work for her to want to stay with you now? Or something like that, right? And then later in the, the movie – um, Joseph and Emma are taking a walk and it shows the same convert and he's beating a rug outside <laughs> and Joseph laughs and is like, oh, I learned something. Um, but I just want to say that, that I'm not I'm not a perfect husband, 100%. Lex can tell you all the imperfections that I have. She tells me all the time, so I'm sure she'd be happy to share them with you. Um, But... But I appreciate so much that she is patient with me as I learn because I do want to become the perfect husband for her. And um, it's why I said that, you know, marriage is incredibly difficult because you are learning how to uh, be perfect for one person, for, for your person. And Lex and I are incredibly different people. And we have very different ways that we view the world. And we have different priorities. We have different beliefs on how things should be done. Uh, both of us are very stubborn. Both of us think that we're always right. Of course, I always am. And, you know, I have to just be patient. as She figures that out. Um, she has to deal with my sarcasm, which I can't, I don't understand that. She. That's what she tells me. I, I don't think I'm sarcastic. But uh, we go through this experience. And we do this together because we both want to have an eternal marriage. We both want to live with each other for eternity. And so we need to work on it now because there's days where obviously we don't want to live with each other. So how the heck are we supposed to want to live for, with with one another for eternity? And uh, to be able to kind of meet that definition of gods and become gods. Or, yeah, God, gods. Uh, how are we supposed to do that if if we're not putting in the work now and that's what's so important for in in eternal marriages is that both spouses are putting 100 percent in uh it's not a 50 50 it's a 100 100 you come with everything they come with everything and and then you just have a, a whole lot of patience with one another and i am grateful that lex has so much patience with me especially when I haven't eaten anything. Today was fast Sunday, let me tell you. In the third section and final section, plural marriage is acceptable to God only when he commands it. Uh, Anyone who has read the Old Testament has probably wondered about Abraham. Nah, I'm skipping that part. Let's just go to the second paragraph. It says, marriage between one man and one woman is God's standard of marriage. Um, I want to read that again. That's important. Marriage between one man and one woman is God's standard of marriage. I'm reiterating that because uh, I know there's people out there who believe that, or I've heard this a lot, actually, is that uh, in heaven, everyone has to be in a polygamous relationship. I I personally do not believe that's true. I'd be fine if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that's true. So I do think it's interesting here that it's cited, and also in official, official declaration one, that marriage between one man and one woman is God's standard of marriage. And continuing on, however, there has been periods in the history when God has commanded his children to practice plural marriage. The early years of the Restored Church were one of those periods of exception. I'm, again, pointing out, exception is being used here. After receiving this commandment, Joseph Smith and other Latter-day Saints practiced plural marriage. If you want to learn more about plural marriage among the early Latter-day Saints, see Mercy Thompson and the Revelation on Marriage. Uh, There's a bunch of things. It gives a point. Now, I will say this. First, First, right off the bat, if plural marriage is something that has been a struggle for you, uh, with with church history or whatever, then I highly recommend looking at these things. I personally do not believe that the church does now or has ever uh, hidden the ball when it comes to plural marriage in our church history. I know that I have friends who who view that differently and, and disagree with me. That's fine. I have read um, several books about church history. That to me, it's been it's been very blunt. I do think it's one of those things that is easily misunderstood. I think there's a lot of um, things on the internet that have been posted that have been taken out of context that I, I, I know the feelings because I've had those feelings where you come across something that it's like, oh my gosh, if this is true, does this throw into question everything I believe and know? There's obviously several things about Joseph Smith. Um, that are, can be confusing when it comes to the plural marriage thing. Uh, I, someone just came to my head right now who (laughs) has, I don't know if they left the church or, or not. They definitely aren't going to church and they're not doing the Zoom church either. Um, but they have brought up their issue with plural marriage polygamy and, uh, called into question Joseph Smith's, um, his character and on the whole thing. Here's what I have to say for myself before I talk about the scriptures. I bear testimony and I bear witness that I know uh, with everything in me that Joseph Smith is what was and is a prophet called by God to restore God's church. Not Joseph Smith's church, God's church. Um, I love Joseph Smith. I... I'm so grateful that he accomplished his mission in the restoration, that he had the strength to be able to go through what was required of him, that he was obedient to all of God's commandments. Everything I know and have studied about Joseph Smith, about Emma, about their relationship, I believe that the hardest thing God ever asked of Joseph Smith was um, to live the law of plural marriage. I don't know that for sure, but that's what I believe. I believe that that was the hardest commandment that God ever gave him. I, I believe that was significantly harder than being called to be a martyr for the church. I think Joseph Smith knew that he would have to um, give his life. Uh, for as, as a testimony, I think that was significantly easier for him than practicing plural marriage. I also think that the same is true of Brigham Young. Uh, it's always been my opinion First, number one, I know that Brigham Young also was and is a prophet of God. I know that he was the true successor after, um, and we'll talk about that more in the succession crisis. But I know that Brigham Young was the prophet that God uh, designated to carry on after Joseph Smith's death. And I believe that despite Brigham Young's flaws and faults, the same, that he also obeyed God's commandments and. Um, sought to do everything that god commanded of him and i believe that uh, also with brigham young one of the hardest things to do was to live the law of plural marriage which i've brought that up people have found it funny and ironic um from what i believe about brigham young I, I know i feel like i know more about joseph Smith than i do about brigham young from what i believe about brigham Young's character is that if there was a weakness that he had if there was something that he felt was a a flaw in his character, something that wasn't exactly in line with what God wanted for him, then he would do everything in his power to prove himself to God, to to live as fully as possible the commandment, to prove to God that he would give up his own will. Uh, so to me, I actually don't find it ironic at all. I find it it's because obviously Brigham Young had like a ton of wives, and that's always the joke. Uh, but I, I believe that that was him proving and showing himself that um, it was a difficult thing for him to live as well. I, I I think it was a difficult thing for for all couples to have to live at the time. Obviously, that would have been committed. It, it would be tremendously challenging. I know because if we were asked to live it today, how many people would would reject it right off the bat and be done and would reject their testimony. So um, I understand. I I don't understand everything. That's, that's for sure. I wanted to make that clear. I don't understand everything, but I do understand um, the difficulty of the commandment. Uh, I like to believe that I have some, at least insight into, to why it has been that God has kind of implemented plural marriage. uh, I believe in every single dispensation, actually from the beginning um, but I, I could go on and on instead, let's go to the scriptures. Cause that's, that's the best source of revelation. 132 verse three, therefore prepare the hearts and prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions, which I am about to give unto you for all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. Uh, pay close attention to the wording there, because if you pay close attention to this wording, I think it helps you understand the emotions and the feelings of all those involved who had to, to live this, it, you know God understood too because he's saying prepare yourself. Uh, why would you need to prepare unless there's going to be a difficult thing? But when, when the law is revealed, you're asked to obey the same. And then in verse, <clears throat> now let's jump to verse 34. God commanded Abraham and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law. And from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Um, We've got to understand this law to not fall into confusion. What is it, the law? What is is God talking about when he says, because it was the law? We've got to be able to understand it so that we're not confused. Um, I don't have it crystal clear to be able to put it down, but I believe when he's talking about the law, the law is that in mortality we are to multiply and replenish the earth, we are to continue God's people. Um, at that time, uh, because Abraham and Sarah had been married for a long time, Sarah was unable to have children. Uh, it was obviously a great difficulty for them, but that Abraham, God had given Abraham the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, that he his posterity would be as the sands of the sea. I believe that it was a test for. For Abraham and Sarah to, to see if they would be if they would obey and follow through to keep God's commandments. That's so I believe that the law that we're discussing here is the law to multiply and replenish the earth, and this is one of the ways to do it. Um, verse 36 Abraham was commanded to offer his son Isaac. Nevertheless, it was written, Thou shalt not kill, uh, Thou shalt not kill. Abraham, however, did not refuse, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So I mentioned this before, but God has a deep law or the, or the deep law, uh, the deep law from God is pure obedience, perfect obedience. Um, and this is obedience beyond our own intelligence, our own wisdom, what we think is ethical, what we think, like if God commands, then we obey and we prove ourselves. If we're willing to obey to the fullest extent, then that humility, that perfection of obedience is how we are able to to prove ourselves before God. And uh, I, and I've, it's a line upon line, precept upon precept. I don't think that tomorrow we're going to be asked to do the same type of sacrifice that Abraham was, but I do believe that that is the end goal of our lives. Our the end goal of our lives is to say whatever it is the the very last thing that we refuse to to sacrifice to the Lord, whatever it is we're go- we want to withhold. It's like I'll give you everything but this, and I think that's a progression, right? Because When I was a teenager, I'd give God everything but video game time. And uh, and it sounds silly, but as a teenager, that was like the thing I wouldn't give up. And then, you know, I served a mission for two years and had no video games. And it was like, oh, (laughs) how silly of me, right? And so, um, but I obviously, I think we get to the point where things aren't so silly anymore. Like Abraham being asked to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, who was received as a miracle child through his relationship with sarah as as his wife you know um that's the progression i believe that our lives are getting to is is that type of obedience that's what i expect at least anyways that uh i'm working on the obedience now i do believe by the end of my life i hope that i'm at a point where it's like i can be completely committed fully committed that i've lived the line upon line precept upon precept to be found worthy before the judgment bar of god in verse 40, I am the Lord thy God, and I give unto thee, my servant Joseph, an appointment, and restore all things. Ask what ye will, and it shall be given unto you according to my word. Uh, the, so, if it's the restoration, if, if Joseph Smith was the great restorer uh, for the, this, then he had to restore all things, including polygamy, which had been practiced in, again, like I said, every dispensation, uh, plural marriage. And so at some point in this dispensation would have to have been restored. Um, but I would like to point out, again, to the argument of that plural marriage will be the common practice in heaven. I, and I, I have no idea if it will or won't. Um, I've heard the arguments for both. I don't know. I, I'm just Dalton. I, I don't know that. What I do know is that Adam didn't practice uh, plural marriage. It was just him and Eve, at least to my knowledge. I, I to my knowledge, they didn't practice it. So I, I, will just point out that, if, um, if Michael the Archangel, in his mortal life, didn't need to practice it, that I don't believe that it's a, um, and everything, and it's kind of like, well, if you just happen to be born at the right time, then you won't need to. But otherwise, everyone be prepared for it. I don't think that's that's the right way to look at. Um, I don't think that's the right way to look at plural Marriage is what I'm getting at. From uh let's just go to the verse I think that that kind of helps to define it. It's in verse 132 or it's section 132 verse 63. But if one or either of the 10 virgins after she is a spouse shall be with another man, she is committing adultery and shall be destroyed. For they are given unto him to multiply and replenish the earth according to my commandment and to fulfill the promise which was given by my father before the foundation of the world. And for their exaltation in the eternal world that they may bear Uh, the souls of men for herein is the work of my father continued that he may be glorified Uh, to me that 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 answers why the the why polygamy question the why was it why did it need to be practiced why was it restored Um, I believe the answers are in 63 honestly is that it's number one it's God's way of being able to multiply and replenish his people um, to bring the souls to earth. Um, Also, when it's been practiced, it's, to my understanding, or at least if I'm looking at history and the scriptures correctly, it was during a time where God's people wasn't abundant and helped to create an abundance of God's people. Um, I mean, in Utah, so many of the saints uh, had been killed or would be killed, uh, especially the men, that... Um, they they had an abundance of, of women and single women. And so it also helped to make sure that all the women were taken care of and also accomplish the, the multiply and replenishing the earth. Um, this is just, again, those are just my thoughts. That's not my, I know this to be true or anything like that. That's my speculation. Do I believe, um, do I believe that we'll be asked to ever to ever live this law again in this life? No, I do not. Uh, do I believe that there is, you know, the? Do I believe that that plural marriage will exist on the other side? I definitely think it. I mean, it makes sense because um, men are able to be sealed to more than one woman, and as my mom likes to point out, there will be more righteous women than men. But but do I think it's going to be one of those things that once we get to the other side, then it's like okay, Dalton, it's time for you to. Select another wife. I, I personally do not believe that. I don't think that's how it works. Uh, if any of you have more answers that, you know, can point to scriptures or what the prophets have said, I'm always all ears. I'm always willing to have my mind changed on this. But that's just my belief. I, I don't think that it's one of those. Um, it's not a suffering commandment type type thing. I believe it, it serves a purpose. It serves God's purposes. His ways are higher than our ways. And um, it does accomplish the law of obedience. So I hope that doesn't just make you be like, well, Dolan's just ruined all my testimony, or he's preaching false doctrine. Again, these are just my thoughts. Um, that's what I have two things I want to leave you with. Um, cause that's all I had to say about that. Uh, one is in verse 49 of section 132 and the other is in 56. 49, for I am the Lord thy God and will be with thee even until the end of the world and through all eternity. For verily I seal upon you your exaltation and prepare a throne for you in the kingdom of my father with Abraham your father. Uh, I personally believe this is the verse where Joseph Smith has his election, his calling and election made sure. Um, I, I believe God is legitimately telling Joseph Smith that Through his obedience, he's made it. Um, and then in 56, it says, "And again, merely I say, let my hand, let mine handmaid forgive my servant Joseph his trespasses, and then shall she be forgiven her trespasses, wherein she has trespassed against me. And I, the Lord thy God, will bless her and multiply her and make her to rejoice." Two thoughts on this one: Number one, the the principle, as we are forgiven, uh, or excuse me, as we forgive, we are forgiven. And then the other principle or, or interesting thing, I guess, is the fact that um, it'd be incredibly tough to be Emma Smith uh, when your husband's the prophet, because you have to have faith that he he's not just receiving revelation to be able to um, make you forgive him. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it would be the classic uh, joke, and I don't want to make light of this at all, and I, I'm not trying to, but the... I think about it, right? <clears throat> if Joseph Smith wanted to, and this was not his character, and I know this wasn't this isn't true at all, but a lesser man would use his influence as the prophet if he were in trouble with his wife to to not be in trouble. So the amount of faith that Emma had to have in um, in God, not in Joseph, but in God and in the keys delivered to Joseph Smith as the prophet would have been tremendous. Um, because otherwise I'm sure that that would have led to so much further conflict. Uh, but also to me speaks volumes of, again, Joseph, his mission and um, the fact that that Emma uh, sustained him as a prophet and, and loved him as her imperfect husband. It, it strengthens and bolsters my testimony. Final thing I'll share with you is at the end, uh, the Improving Personal Study says, Look for gospel truth. Sometimes gospel truths are stated directly. At other times, they are implied through an example or story. And uh, just trying to find gospel truths through everything is what I feel like President Nelson reiterated to us in General Conference. So, longest episode I've done solo, but it was my fa- this was my favorite. So this is kind of a self-serving thing, I guess, because it, it is my favorite section. I got the most from it. And hopefully uh, I didn't just mess up your whole day. Anyway, thank you for joining me in this family room discussion. What ideas, questions, or insights did you have from Doctrine and Covenants, sections 129 to 132, or any corrections that you wanted to share with me uh, from things I said? Until we meet again, have a blessed week.